when I took over Women's Health, previously it might have been seen as a brand that was aimed at, you know, fitness fanatics, slim women. And I didn't fit into that category. I am a fitness fanatic, but I'm also curvy, very normal, very relatable, very down to earth. And I fervently believe that the brand should represent all women. And from the day one, I started making that happen. Hello all, you are listening to the Capsule in Conversation podcast. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm joined by one of the leading voices in health and fitness, the editor-in-chief of Women's Health, Claire Sanderson, to talk the importance of education around perimenopause, the pushback against diet culture and protecting your mental health. So take a minute, sit back, relax and get ready to join us in our conversation. I hope you're all well and have had a lovely week. Today I am very excited to be joined by the woman at the helm of the biggest wellness publishing brand in the UK, Women's Health. Passionate about making wellness inclusive for all and cutting through the clickbait, she has used her own lived experience and 20 plus years in publishing to bring the women's health brand into the 2020s and has overseen the brand's development as a 360 platform encompassing digital, print, commercial and events and circumnavigated it to becoming one of the most well-respected and informed titles in the health and wellness industry. A self-confessed fitness fanatic who's championing wellness for all she is the fabulous and the formidable Claire Sanderson hi Claire wow what an intro hello thank you so much for having me I'm I'm impressed listening to my own achievements (laughs) (laughs) I love that I love that whenever a guest comes on we always get that they go oh I've forgotten what I've done and it's like yeah you're like an amazing woman like who's achieved so much so and thank you so much for being with me I mean it's been a bit of a struggle to try and make this podcast work with changing schedules but I'm so thrilled to actually get some of your time and on your insight um on some really important issues um you know, that are really pressing at the minute. And I know that you're very, very passionate about. But before we kind of dive into all of that, you actually trained as a news journalist, didn't you? I did. So I joined the Daily Mirror in 1999 as a graduate trainee. It was a very prestigious, competitive training scheme at the time. And I travelled all over the world, has an amazing experience and went to places that a girl from the South Wales Valleys never thought she'd get to go to. And I stayed in newspapers for, well, to 2007, so so eight years. And then I transitioned to magazines. So I've worked at Grazia, which is still going, as I'm sure many of you will be um, familiar with. Look, which is sadly no longer with us, but was formidable to use your your word we loved luck yeah it was brilliant wasn't it so I I was at luck for nine ten years I had both of my children when I was at luck and uh, and then I joined women's health five and a half years ago which was my dream job then and it's still my dream job now and when you were offered that job I was reading that you had a little bit of imposter syndrome you know just explain yeah. that to me I would just come back from maternity leave with my second child, Nell, who's now six going on seven, going on 17, as you know, little (laughs) girls are. And so I had two children, Zach, who's now 10, 10 in June, and, and Nell. And then I was offered the editorship. And even though it was my dream job, my initial thoughts were can't do that it's, it's too much of a big job I'm also married to someone who's very senior in the media so it, it just seemed 
too much to take on with a husband who's absent quite a lot following his own career and having two young children. But that said, years previously when I was working at Look and Women's Health launched, I genuinely used to say to my colleagues, one day I will edit Women's Health. Like it was my my absolute genuine authentic dream to do so. So I took the meeting, I went to meet, I was headhunted for it, I went to meet the um, the manager and my advice to anyone in any profession is take the meeting because mm. even if that person is not useful to you in that at that time, they might be in six months, they might be in 12 months, you know, network, 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 that's, that's how you get on in any industry and within 10, 15 minutes of sitting down with this um, with this gentleman, I was adamant I wanted that job. And um, two weeks later, or maybe three weeks, but after doing an awful lot of of written work and presentations for them and many interviews, including people flying in from New York to interview me because it was seen as such a big deal, I was off the job. And I remember getting the phone call and I was walking down Broadrick Street in Soho and just jumping up and down on the spot. It was just, I couldn't believe it was happening to me and, and ringing my husband and saying, I've got it. I can't believe it. I've, I've got it. It was it was surreal, absolutely surreal. This episode of the Capsule in Conversation is brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Famous for its waters since 1571, Harrogate is Britain's premium natural source water. When you become a mother and, and everything mm. becomes really about your kids and then you take that back seat almost, those wins mm. and such a huge win for you, you know, we're not talking a small win, we're talking a huge win of going, yes, I've still got it. Like, yeah. yes, I'm still that woman. I'm still that girl that was, you know, training and being a, a journalist at uni or whatever. Mm. I'm, I'm still that person, all that energy, but it is quite emotional as well, isn't it? Well, especially because I just come back from maternity leave, and and you have a, have a son yourself, and anyone listening who has had children and returned to to work after maternity leave, you do feel like your mind is not working as quick as it used to be because your mind is a muscle, and you have to train it, you have to use it. And it happened with my son when I went back after him, and I'd be sat in meetings, and it was like the meeting was taking place around me, and I wasn't quite part of it because I I or I was thinking, and then someone else would say what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, wish I wish I'd said that so your confidence definitely takes a knock so to be offered such a big job fresh after my second maternity leave was was a huge confidence boost but but also terrifying absolutely terrifying I still look back and I'm so impressed to myself for getting on the train the morning to my first day like I, I can't believe I even slept the night before because I must have been absolutely mortified by what laid ahead of me, but it's amazing what we can achieve when we put our mind to it. And that's the thing, you know, it's so refreshing to hear somebody like like you, you know, women look up to you. You are the spokesperson for so many women, you know, with with the magazine and with everything that it encompasses. And the fact that it is so inclusive, you know, once upon a time, I think many people would have felt like um, it was a brand aimed just at fitness fanatics. And it's so mm. not that now. And I know that that's yeah. been part Part of your mission is to kind of you know have um the brand be inclusive for all and what what things did you put in place so that you did get on that train so you did keep going back every day and you know to keep building that confidence 
what, practical things like a nanny. Mm-hmm. We, we need help. Yeah. With, I, and I know not everyone is in a financial situation to, uh, to afford childcare. We fortunately was. So I made sure that I had a setup at home, which allowed me to, you know, logistically go into the office. And then when I took over Woman's Health, you're absolutely right. Previously, it might have been seen as a brand that was aimed at, you know, fitness fanatics, slim women. And I didn't fit into that category. I am a fitness fanatic, but I'm also curvy, very normal, very relatable, very down to earth. And I fervently believe that the brand should represent all women and from the day one I started making that happen and initially it was just simply broadening the visibility of different types of women in the brand Mm. so we made sure that we had different body shapes different ethnicities we just made sure that it visibly represented a broader demographic of women and then I also introduced much more content about mental health So it it was a more holistic wellness offering as opposed to focusing predominantly on fitness and nutrition, which still are the two main content pillars of the brand. But mental health is very important. So I was determined that it should get parity of esteem to fitness and nutrition. So I introduced that as one of the equal content pillars. And also I wanted more voices of real women To me, it didn't make sense that there wasn't enough real women given real experiences. There was a lot of A-list celebrities and um, really clever, smart investigations into different scientific areas of wellness, which we still do now. But to make the brand more relatable, I think women empathise with other women and want to hear their stories because it offers comfort, inspiration, motivation, information you know uh, and I so I made sure that there was more normal average women from across the country from different demographics visibly sociably and they were represented in the brand hello I'm Florence Given best-selling author of the book women don't owe you pretty and I have a new podcast called exactly in this first season we'll be diving into five big topics sex social media, feminism, relationships and body image and exploring them all from different angles. I'll be chatting to some amazing guests from psychologists and doctors to cultural commentators and celebrities. Out now. Listen and follow exactly with me, Florence Given, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the quotes that you've put out, which I absolutely love, is we empower women to be the best version of their healthiest selves. We empower, we're empowering yeah. women with credible health information, cutting through the wellness noise and clickbait headlines, because that's one of the big things, isn't it? It's like, wellness, wellness, it's the buzzword. It's the, mm. you need to do this, you you should be on a diet, da, da, da. all this noise coming at women. Mm. And, you know, particularly... Oh God, the last 50 years, I mean, we are pushing back against it now and we'll talk about that later, but the whole conditioning of diet culture towards women and how we feel about ourselves and knocking our self-esteem. And and, and I think in past, that's why things like um, Slimming World and Weight Watchers did well was because they had that community-based element. They mm. Women were able to talk and share stories and say, mm. oh, I've tried this and you've tried that. And that, mm. that sharing of information is so vital, isn't it? And I mean, you know, just this week we've, um, or just last week even, Davina with her um, documentary, you know, Sex, Mind and the Menopause, which for me, I'm just like, yes, people finally talking about this. And I know this is an important area for you too, isn't it? Talking about the perimenopause and the menopause. Yeah. So I love Davina. Davina is 
amazing. Yes. I want to be her best friend. <laughs> we <And> all do. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's been on the cover and on the, sh- the most fun photo shoots because that woman just exudes authentic confidence. She's so comfortable in her own skin. She's so out there talking about her own challenges with addiction and, and more recently the menopause. And it is a subject matter that is personally close to my heart, but also something that I feel that women, especially women in their late 30s and 40s, need to start talking about because it has a stigma, much less so now, by the way, but it certainly did have a stigma tantamount to, to mental health issues, in my opinion, because women thought that it made them sound old and over the hill and less attractive and blah, 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 all that rubbish. So um, we started talking about the menopause before other brands, female brands did, sparked by my own experience. I was part of a government task force called the Women's Health Task Force, and it was a multi-parliamentary task force aimed to improve the health outcomes of women. And I was the only media representative who was sitting on this task force. And each month we would tackle a different area of women's health. So one month it could be teenage pregnancies, another it could be heart disease or Alzheimer's or something. But one month it was the menopause and um so louise newsom was in the room yeah, who's the, the doctor, menopause yeah. yeah um the menopause doctor and probably the most the leading menopause doctor in the uk mm. i would argue and uh, and she was talking about the health inequities around the menopause and the the lack of information within gps and how they're refusing to prescribe hrt because a lot of them are referring back to outdated research that says that HRT can increase your risk of breast cancer when actually more recent research suggests that even though it's a minimal increased risk, all the benefits that you get from it, like reduced risk of heart disease, dementia, obesity, mental health issues, far outweigh the minuscule increased risk of of breast cancer. Um, So I got chatting to her and I was telling her my own experience of perimenopausal symptoms, but not having a clue what was happening to me. And it was only... Um, having dinner with a doctor friend who was an, a, a, a consultant anaesthetist, not um, not in, in female health at all. But she said to me, you do realise that you're having perimenopausal symptoms because I had the sore boobs and the um, intermittent periods and, and different period flow and anxiety. Mm. And I have a history of depression. And I thought that my depression was coming back to the point where I was going to go to the doctors and get um, antidepressants. But instead, I went and asked for HRT and they refused to give it to me because I was 39. And so I carried on struggling. And then Louise Newsom said, come to me and I will prescribe you HRT. And I did go to her, but she's a private doctor. That's not available Mm. to everyone, which is one of the travesties in in healthcare in this society. It's very, you know, if you can pay for it, you can get good healthcare. If you can't, you have to rely on the NHS, which is brilliant, Mm. but challenged. And certainly when it comes to HRT, not doesn't have the most, most up-to-date information. So she prescribed me HRT and it changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. The The mood stabilized very quickly. And I still get symptoms now. I'm sat here now with very sore boobs. Mm. The, the perimenopause is a journey. You don't suddenly take HRT and feel amazing. You know, it's, it fluctuates and goes up and down. But it, it made a massive difference. And I And I thought, right, we need to start writing about this in the brand because I'm 41 I thought the menopause is going to happen to me when I was 50 plus because that's what a lot of people think I'm also someone who conceived both of my children very very quickly and very easily so I for some reason thought that equated to a late menopause mm. I don't know why you yeah, know you, yeah, you, yeah. you come with these silly things in your head and I thought well I'm so fertile that's gonna have to that will go on for years and years <laughs> and years you know 
So, and I, and I had my second child only when I was 37 and started having perimenopausal symptoms when I was 39, which just goes to show it can, it can start when you're quite young. But I had no idea what was happening to me. And I just thought I have a duty to be speaking about this. So we started writing about the perimenopause, a phrase I'd never heard of until mm-hmm. I spoke to a doctor friend in women's health four, four and a half years ago. And then brilliantly and latterly people like Davina and Meg Matthews and a lot of these very high profile women are now coming out Gabby Yorath are now now coming out and speaking very openly about it and I think that's so so important because they are breaking down the stigma much like the conversation around mental health is much more open and honest these days and people are much more um, willing to to speak about their own experiences whereas before it was shrouded in shame Um, I think the same is happening with the menopause and it probably has contributed to this HRT crisis that's going on because they're saying more women than ever are now taking HRT. Um, and I'd like to say that women's health is is somewhat responsible for that because we were one of the first brands out there talking about HRT, mm-hmm. talking in facts, credible science, as you mentioned in your intro, and we were giving people the information. So it's brands like us and also Davina doing her two brilliant documentaries, the menopause, Dr. Louise Newsom, and she has a brilliant website. There's just lots of, and all the celebrities that are talking about it now, it's doing wonders for female health. It's so important. It's something that we here at The Capsule and on our podcast, we've been talking about, like you again, it, it was something I'd never heard about even three years ago when we started this, we had a conversation with um, Dr. Larissa Corder about fertility and then she Mm. mentioned the perimenopause and we were like what's that so at the time uh, me and and the other lady that um, you know hosted this this podcast in its infancy we were in our late 30s and I'd already noticed some changes myself and like you I thought I think I'm suffering from some kind of um, increased anxiety or or mm. um, mental health problems. And I was get, starting to get really worried and thinking, I, yeah. I'm not sure what's going on here um, because the menopause seems so far, far away. And it mm. was when I started to cotton on to, actually, this just could be just natural changes in my body. And that's something mm. that it is a journey, as you said, that like you, I was like, we need to be talking more about this and particularly to younger women. This is not something that is far, far away and you can absolutely mm. be having babies. You know, we had um, Dr. Sahar Rokhead on um, last week who she was talking uh, very much about how you can have babies and be in perimenopause and you can be totally in those two um, states mm. and it be happening at the same time. So it's not necessarily like you are going to be in menopause immediately, yeah. but you could be looking at a good 15 10 to 15 year journey. But for me, I was saying it's like the silent P. We hear about, you Mm. know, puberty and pregnancy. Perimenopause is the silent P. No one was Mm. talking about it. So, you know, from your experience, other than HRT, because as you say, it can be quite difficult if you don't have private healthcare to go and speak to an advisor. What other things have you found have helped your perimenopause symptoms? So I've had to reduce the volume of high intensity exercise that I do. Um, And I've been told by many, many experts, both sports scientists and medical, so the menopause doctor, et cetera, that high intensity exercise, which many of us love, you know, we all love um, doing hits when you you push yourself to, to your limit and then take a rest and push yourself again. 
but actually what that is doing is increasing the stress in your body increasing the cortisol in your body and your body doesn't can't make out the difference between the cortisol you get from high intensity exercise or the cortisol you get from just being stressed because your children are bickering over breakfast or a work problem etc and you need to reduce your cortisol levels when you're in the perimenopause. So for me, the one simple way of doing that was looking at my fitness regime. So what I do now is a lot more walking and a lot more restorative exercise. I wish I did yoga. People <laughs> should do yoga. I hate it. So I wish I wish I loved it. I wish I loved yoga. <laughs> I tried it so often. I'm rubbish. And at the end of it, I just think that was an hour of my life. I'm never going to get back. So... <laughs> So, <laughs> so I do a lot of walking. And then also what we absolutely should do as women is lift weights. Mm -hmm. So when you get become perimenopausal and menopausal, your muscle mass will decrease um, exponentially, much quicker than men's does. Uh, because your testosterone levels are bottoming out as well as your estrogen and your progesterone so and you can supplement with testosterone but again you have to generally do it through the private healthcare system not through your nhs so you need to think of other ways to try and preserve your muscle mass and strength training is key so that's what i do as well like and it will it um wards off osteoporosis which i'm sure you know if your muscle mass decreases your bones become weaker and you're much more likely to develop osteoporosis as a woman and a stat that i heard um learned when i was at the women's health task force was that um Women live longer than men, but they live um, longer in supported living as well. And by that, I mean they end up going into care sooner. And one of the reasons for that is that um, we lose our confidence because we fall, break bones because we are suffering from osteoporosis, then lose our confidence and end up having to live in the care system, whereas men are more likely to live longer independently. So a simple way to preserve your muscle mass and your bone health is to, is to lift, weight, lift weights. And there are also things that you can do with your diet, like eat more phytoestrogens to help with your estrogen levels. And then... So where would you get those from? Like what, what foods? So hummus, chickpeas, legumes, that type of thing. So, you know, you can you can get them in any supermarket now you know you can get the little yeah. packets that you put in the microwave for 45 seconds and just put them in a salad really easy to add into your diet coffee you need to reduce coffee i know it's all <laughs> sad but um coffee encourages your cortisol levels to shoot up so i've reduced my coffee intake and just generally nourishing food and but this goes for any life stage i think but it's the time to really start looking after yourself because the mind gut access, I'm sure you you know about this. Everything starts in the gut. So the healthier your gut microbiome is, your healthier your mind will be, your healthier your body will be, it's all linked. And to have a really healthy gut microbiome, you have to try and eat 30 varieties of fruit and vegetables in a week. But that is less intimidating than it sounds because a variety is a herb. So right. if you were to just add different herbs to your salad and also pulses are considered fruit and vegetables in the 30 umbrella so you need to go to your supermarket and not do what most of us do and pick up the same salad thing every week you know the same fruit the same bananas and apples for the fruit the fruit bowl at home you need to really try and eat the rainbow and eat a variety and that will help your gut microbiome which will improve your mental health and mental clarity and itself will make you feel better about yourself and I'm a true believer that if you feel positive up here you live a positive lifestyle because you you're less likely to reach for processed food if you're feeling really happy and positive in your in yourself like for me 
processed rubbish food is, is a crutch, is a comfort. And I tend to reach for it as a commiseration or when life gets stressful. So you need to try and reduce the frequencies of those instances. And that's the whole thing with self-care, isn't it? You know, again, it's breaking down that barrier that self-care is a selfish act that is like indulgent. And it's, um, you mm. know, it's like, oh, I don't have time to have a bubble bath. It's really, really not that. It is actually making your health a priority so that you can function, so that you can get through a journey, you know, like the perimenopause, like various stages in life um feeling more energized and active and being able to commit to those you know whether it's work or whether it's kids but those things that you've yeah. got going on yeah so as women we put everyone before ourselves mm. don't yeah. we we put our partners our parents because in your 40s you might have aging parents who have health issues i know i do my mother bless her has dementia and my father has cancer so you have that stresses to deal with and then we tend to be doing very well in our careers in our 40s we're probably at the peak in our careers where we might manage big teams and, and have a lot of responsibility on our shoulders then we've got children who we were just discussing we both got 10 year old mm-hmm. boys they're challenging they're going to be teenagers soon they're going to be even more of a nightmare you know and i've and i've got <laughs> so, a spade a spade so we've got all these responsibilities we put the shop in we put the house we put we put everything before ourselves but I'm a firm believer that if you put your own life jacket on first and for me that's exercise so I make time to exercise because I know it makes me a better mum partner manager friend daughter sister it just makes me better so I have to prioritize it and I I can't look upon it as selfish because it's not selfish so for me my ultimate form of self-care is exercise and eating well the eating well thing is the thing I struggle with and, and food will always be something that I really have to try hard to to eat eat a healthy diet I'm I'm a bit of a sugar addict you know I reach for biscuits and stuff like that but but exercise is not something I have to try hard at I love it always have done and always will do just quickly going back to to the menopause you know what what role I mean people are already kind of talking about it very uh, openly now but celebrities do play a huge role in this don't they I mean you know you see somebody incredible like JLo and I do love her and I think what's her secret you know you think you're, mm-hmm. you're 50 like years old and but she, I don't feel like she talks about things enough like I want to know yeah. I want to know what your secret is you know yeah. tell me because actually it's it is empowering for the rest of us yeah, I mean, I mean, JLo's amazing. Yeah, she's incredible. We, yeah, <laughs> let's bring it back to like normality. Yeah. But women are, are we, I said this like earlier, we're incredibly influenced and inspired and motivated by other women. And when you do see women these days in their late 40s and 50s look banging, don't they? You know, they yeah. look... Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, they, it's, you know, it's just because we're looking after ourselves more. And we're doing it as a proper lifestyle choice. We're doing it for much longer. So by the time we get to our 40s, the seeds have already been sown. The foundation mm-hmm. is there to be super healthy and look amazing. But it's, it's absolutely incredibly important for the likes of Lisa Snowden, who love. looks incredible. You know, she's talking about the menopause. Um, Susanna Reid, she looks amazing. So all these incredible women who are at the top of their games, who look incredible, are smart, powerful, but they are 
proudly talking about going through a life stage and proudly owning their age mm. as well because it was not so long ago that celebrities wouldn't admit their age in public or some of them would be caught out by a tabloid newspaper for lying you know they get older their birth certificate ha ha you're not 34 yeah. though that you don't see those stories anymore now do you because everyone's like i are proud to look good for their age and i'm proud to be healthy for their age and i think that's where the menopause stigmatism comes from it's the aging thing that it's that it's linked to aging but i think the that's becoming much less so i think so and i especially in in my industry like in the acting industry you know i have been like i said being being vocal about the perimenopause and i had a couple of comments you know from from men normally that's like oh you don't need to be talking about this you're 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 too young and sexy for this you know kind of that kind of language and and i often think as well you know for a lot of actresses or people in the entertainment business you do have that thing sitting on your shoulder that actually if you start talking about these things then for the casting you'll be seen as old or seen as past mm. it or seen as not not that category anymore i mean to be honest i'm totally at peace with it i'm like it is what it is and and who's to say that a perimenopausal woman can't be sexy i'm sorry are you kidding yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. it is sexy it's a sexy time in our life in terms of yes it's difficult in terms of the physical symptoms but actually what you said where we're at in our careers you know where the the extra confidence that can come when you you can speak your mind and you're not worrying too much about Mm. upsetting people there's a confidence that comes with that and that breeds a sexiness I think so again it's about us owning that and not being afraid that casting directors necessarily won't see us Okay, mm. we need to change that view and keep yeah. changing it um, in, as representation in, in the media as well. So television roles and these kind of other things. Mm. And one actress at a time. So yeah. the more, of, more actresses that come out and say, I'm 40 plus, my hormones are fluctuating, so what? And then it becomes less and less and less of a thing. Definitely. Is it the, the same as me. I've, I'm not as high profile as you, but I've spoken very openly about my mental health challenges, about the menopause. It's all on the internet. Anyone Googles me. If I was to go to work for another company, they could Google me and it'd all be there. But I, I'm at a stage where I just want to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, you, you take me or leave me. This is me. I have an awful lot to offer this world. And if you are going to discriminate against me, because I've been honest about health challenges, which most of us have been through to greater or lesser extents, then you're not the type of company that I want to work for or not the type of person that I want in my life. And that's such, again, such an empowering statement. So, so it's empowering to for, for our audience to know that, to know that somebody at, at your position, you know, where you are and to, mm. to have that mentality is fantastic. And for the rest of us, it's like, yes, actually, you know, I want to be like that. If we just move away slightly towards, you know, diet culture and the pushback against it in recent years, I know it's kind of been uh, quite debated, really, in terms of body positivity versus health. You know, where it's quite a difficult one to navigate that, isn't it, really? It is. You mentioned Women's Health's brand message is we empower women to be the healthiest version of ourselves. And we just breed health, physical and mental health. So we do include weight loss content because there is nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight Mm -hmm. if it's going to benefit your health as long as it's done responsibly and sustainably 
what I take umbrage with is the quick fix type mm. diet that you see online. You mentioned them earlier. If anything's too good to be true, it probably is, you know. So, oh, yeah, you could follow that diet for five days, but you'll pack it all back on as soon as you start eating um, normally again because your body's gone into such a calorie deficit that as soon as you start eating calories again, your body will hold on to everything. So we do cover weight loss and fat loss in women's health, but we our message is do it for health reasons. This is we not because you know, lose seven pounds in a month because you want to wear a bikini in the Costa del Sol this summer. We don't do that type of content. Mm. We we breed a holistic health message. And that's fervently where I believe the the weight loss content should should remain and we and we avoid the, the clickbait stuff. I suppose it's hard for you guys though. So you know, with all of your in- intentions and the content that you're putting out and obviously you are an incredibly credible source, but then you've got social media you know Mm. which is like the wild west everybody advertising everything and that's the difficulty isn't it like you're doing such great work and then you've got the Mm. other side of it where there's people kind of unbalancing all the great work that you're doing do you feel like there needs to be some kind of um or more regulations in social media when it comes to kind of um the promotion of diet products and all that kind of thing Yes, in an ideal world, but I do think these brands would find a way to get around mm. it. It's it's the Wild West. I mean, all I can speak is on behalf of Women's Health, yeah. and we would never endorse those type of products in Women's Health. And these a lot we've done umpteen amount of research with our audience, and they have a deep level of trust with us. I think that trust is actually born in print because there's research that people trust print more. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that they solidly with it's our base, it's the foundation of the brand. The trust comes out of print, and then the rest we the all our other many platforms bask in its glow. So you know, if you go to Women's Health, you'll find credible well-researched content that's gone through editorial scrutiny i can't speak on behalf of the wider social media but you're absolutely right there's a lot of irresponsible content out there but what i would say to anyone if it sounds too good to be true it probably is and the same i suppose with um like the fitness influencer because we have some amazing influencers like alice levine you know who i know she's she's your pt and also you know been a a women's health cover girl a few times now and she's amazing but she's trained she is a trained yeah. personal trainer because you've got this kind of fitness influencer versus someone that's probably even just at uni or whatever or just going, oh, yeah, yeah. I want to make a few quid or whatever. That's, again, there does need to be some kind of regulation, don't you think, across the, the board, really? I think it would be really hard to regulate. Yeah. We work with qualified PTs who are who have become influencers we have a, an expert panel as part of our women's health collective which is our membership proposition and they're very qualified pts from different life stages so we have michelle robinson griffiths who's a former olympian yes she's amazing she's and uh, specializes in training older women going through the menopause and then we have seema hussein who is um in her early 40s and then we got alice who's in her late 20s so we and then we have mama well who she specializes in postnatal pre and postnatal so we just make sure that we only work with very qualified trainers and we we definitely would not consider working with the ones that you're referring Mm. to who are basically famous because they look good in cycling shorts we avoid those we they need to be preaching a credible message but you can often I can I can tell the the charlatans yeah better word just from their the content they put out and their captions etc but you're absolutely right there'll be impressionable young girls who may would struggle to to 
sort the wheat from the chaff. I think that's important is that, you know, for, for people listening as well, is if you are looking for online content, then go to someone like yourself, like, like your brand, you know, which is trusted, reputable. You'll find a load of different people on there that could help with your specific needs rather than going into the abyss of social media and thinking, oh, they look good. Because that's yeah. the, sometimes that's the illusion, isn't it? They, they mm. might look good, but really, do we really know how they look that good? You know, what kind of diet is actually being followed and yeah. all those kind of things. It's it's make sure and just do the research really to make sure you're yeah. not falling into that trap. And they may have well have edited their content as well. You know, there, there's so many apps out there the filters that they can put on and, and you thought you thought there's a lot of really good influencers out there there's a lady called Denai Mercer do you follow her no, I don't. She's, she's amazing she used to actually be the editor-in-chief of Women's Health in Dubai ah. but what she does is she sort of highlights what goes on in social media so she say this is what I really look like this is what I could look like if I use the apps that some of these influencers are using, you know, and get the, the lifted the bums, but change the nose. For the, so you just, you just don't know what you're looking at a lot of the time with the, the, the young girls that you're referring to, you know, the fitness mm. influencers, you don't know what they've done to their images as well. So we definitely try and stay away from that type of person. Because that's really important now, isn't it? In terms of, you know, with younger children, I mean, I'm seeing it already with my own son of, you know, he said to me, do you think I need to lift weights? I was like, what what are you talking about you know and and they're having these conversations in school already of you know talking about their bodies and you know they get get into that age and it it is more difficult I think now with children growing up in a social media age and that's why it's so important isn't it that like you know as you've said your brand and there's various others that are promoting body diversity and but equally Mm. that responsible messaging yeah, I mean, that breaks my heart, what you said about your son, because I read an article last week in the Times, actually, and it said, much like little girls are more likely to play with the disproportionately thin dolls, I won't say the brand, but you know the ones I'm talking about, like who are like really tall and tiny waist and big booze, blah, blah, blah. The figures for boys are kind of chiselled abs, pecs, you know, so that the boys are not being given enough representation of what male body shapes look like, much like the girls aren't. My my daughter Nell, she's six, and she's a, she wears age ten to twelve clothes. She's very tall. My husband's tall, so she was always going to be tall. But she's she's bigger than her friends as well. But much like I was, I was I was always bigger, stronger. I was always made to play netball with the older girls because I was used to throw the ball too hard to the girls my age and all this. Um, and I can see it in her now, and. Um, my husband took her and my son and his friends swimming to the local water park and she came back and she said that my son's friend called her fat Aww. in her bikini. I know. And she just, I just bought her um, a bikini. It was like a crop top yeah. of knickers. And I, I really sort of, I did agonise about buying it for her. And she was, she was adamant that's the one she wanted. You know, I was yeah. trying to buy her the one suit. And then I thought, hang on, stop letting your insecurities rub off on her. Like you're not buying her that because you think that she'd be better in a one suit because of her body shape. Let her wear the bikini. Mm. We should all wear the bikini. Like, you know, be like Nell, wear the bikini. So she watched, she, this bikini arrives. She was walking by the house, looking at the mirror, doing her Beyonce bum shuffle, which she loves. <laughs> she loves Beyonce. And then, and then she wore it and he called her fat and she came back and told me. 
hour and it just it just broke my heart and it's not the first time this happened someone in her class called her fat and and she's just taller than mm. bigger than her friend she's just a different body shape but it will stand her in good stead because I was very good at sport yeah. I was very good at netball and all that you know she'll be fine she'll just you know but it's you know these messages about thin and what you should look like start from such a young age even from their toys and all we can do as mums and as parents is try and set a really good example so the example I set to Nell is that she I may look it up a home gym she comes in my home gym and she'll do workouts with me she picks up the little tiny one and a mm. half kg dumbbells and she copies me like you know if her form needs work, shall we say? But she's <laughs> she's doing squats and she's putting them overhead, and and she always says, "I'm going to be big and strong like Mummy," oh, you know. So she sees me, and I'm her hero, which is amazing. You know, she picks up woman's health. She loves seeing me in the magazine. She takes that. it to show her friends. So I'm trying to breed a very strong body positivity message to her, even when my own body confidence is fluctuating at best. But a lot of my insecurities stem from childhood when I was her age when god love my parents but it was a different time mm-hmm. they just kind of left I was left to get on with it that you know we, we uh, my parents didn't really they weren't that engaged but that you know it was I was just a product of of the late 70s early 80s but I need to make sure that Nell doesn't grow up with the same insecurities as me. So it's all about the messaging. So I tell how strong she is and how clever and how beautiful she looks in her dress. And I let her wear the the bikini and I never ever comment on her body. And she she has this innate body confidence and she stands in the mirror. And like she, does, she loves Beyonce and Lizzo. So she stands there doing her little Beyonce dancing. And I think, yeah, brilliant. But, you know, but I need to make sure that continues. And I think that's the same for, for all of us, isn't it, as parents, you know, and this is the challenge that we do have now, like we said, in a social media age, is making sure that actually we tell them, like when they are looking at images, to not to see it through rose-tinted glasses. Because they can't, mm. we can't, we can't protect them all the time. You know, we can't stop them from seeing things but we do need to kind of be real and say right well that Mm. actually looks like this or it could look like that and this person's body so that they do have that well-rounded sense of oh actually that could be edited or that Mm. that person just happens to be small and that person's Mm. bigger um i think yeah as you said you know as as parents that is our duty going forward Before we do have to finish up, I, mean, I had so many other things to talk to you about. And um, I just want to get like, what are your top um, well-being products or a well-being practice that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, my well-being practice is is walking in the fresh air. It's something that I've started doing recently. And even when I'm working from home and it's very hard to get your steps in, I know a lot of us are hybrid working at the mm-hmm. moment and it's very hard to get your steps in. So I make sure I go for a walk at lunchtime. And I do think that absolutely helps my mind and body in terms of well-being products um i could tell you my my favorite brand of fit kit if you like yeah. um, i love a brand called lndr i think their leggings are amazing i love lululemon as well but who doesn't but um lndr i think are really and they cut for for women to do a lot of strength training like myself so 
Um, and then I'm, I use a lot of protein powder because I'm, I eat fish now. Mm -hmm. I, I was vegetarian for a long time, but I started eating fish because I was, I was told that it would benefit my diet, but to try and boost my protein intake, I use a lot of protein powder and I found a new brand recently, which, um, is very, um, not there's not it's not you know full of different ingredients that you don't recognize it's very natural and it's called nothing unnecessary added and it's a really small brand it's, it's on the internet and their chocolate protein powder tastes delicious you know i don't know if you do use protein powder but mm. some of them can taste a bit um fake and a bit. yeah yeah this one tastes delicious so that would be my top tip and it's a small company so i'm i'm sure the lady who runs it would be thrilled that i've mentioned them but um yeah so lndr leggings lululemon for kit and um nothing unnecessary added and i think they go by n what's nua i think that yeah the the, the branding is nua yes. and i think yeah and it's that would be, that's my new favorite protein at the moment oh well thank you so much for your time today it's been absolutely amazing to have you thank you very very much thank you thanks for having me for more well-being fashion and beauty you can visit us at our website www.capsule.co.uk you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the in conversation page and subscribing to any of our podcast channels and youtube please do feel free to leave your rates and reviews as we would love to hear from you as the series goes on you can also um drop us a message at at official capsule on instagram and i will be back next week for our very last episode of this series i can't believe how quickly it has gone but all that's left for us to say today is goodbye so it's goodbye from claire thank you goodbye and goodbye from me This episode of the Capsule in Conversation was brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Bottled at source, Harrogate Spring offers a pure, refreshing taste with a delicate blend of naturally occurring minerals and electrolytes, perfect for healthy hydration.